Hallelujah. Let's bless him all across this building. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I think it'd be appropriate if we just for a few moments lift up our hands and let's just love him some more. Come on. He's in this building. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Have you made the decision to bless him today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As David said, I bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Have you made the decision to bless God today? I love you, Jesus, and I magnify you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Amen. I want to say it's good to have Brother Grayson in the house of the Lord with us. He said he'll be here until Thanksgiving. And so I said, man, be great time of year to be here. Amen. Right before the snow begins to fall. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to go into the word of the Lord here. If you want to open in your Bibles and just kind of get ready in the book of Genesis. Amen. We're going to kind of find our way to Genesis chapter 22. Amen. Last lesson we studied, the last few lessons we were studying, really the, the, the last few chapters, the last few moments that you have of Abraham. And really what you are seeing is the greatest, the greatest trying of his life. A lot of people think that the trying of Abraham was the 25 years of waiting. Those were all incredible trials. Uh, but they were all preparing Abraham to be in this moment. Amen. It was then when God finally answered his prayers and gave him the son that he had promised for 25 years that we find in Genesis 22 as we studied in our last lesson that God looked at Abraham and he said, this child that I have given to you, I want him back. Amen. I want you to sacrifice the very thing that you have waited 25 years years for the most precious thing in Abraham's life amen he does this amen the Bible would later reveal to us he did all of this that he might prove him that he might test him amen he wanted to know Abraham do you really love me now you got to understand in those days even all the way through the Bible the word of the Lord would declare to us that we must uh, reject false deities and false idols such as uh, such as Baal. Amen. Baal worship was was known throughout the Bible. In fact, you find Elijah on the Mount Carmel. He is he is fighting against the prophets of Baal. And one of the key components of idolatrous worship in those days and in the biblical times, especially amongst Baal worshipers, is they would take their children, and they would put their children into the hands of their deity, whether it be Baal or Molech, and they would they would basically sacrifice their children. It was it was one of the most base human, just animalistic things to do. It was whether or not you wanted a, a better harvest this year, or you just were looking for another blessing. You would sacrifice. Your children, and I know that we live in a Western culture where that seems so absurd. But there are still cultures out there today that have not been touched by the Bible, that have not been touched uh, by Christian values and touched by biblical values. That when you say something like 
don't kill. To us, it's just commonplace, but to them, it would be a life-changing, world-changing viewpoint. And this idea that God was against child sacrifice to us is absolute. We understand that, but they didn't. And so it seems absurd when we read the Bible that God would ask of Abraham to do the very thing we know that our God is against. Amen. Now, Abraham is operating by faith. He does not have a Bible. He does not have anything. He looks around the world, uh, the world around him, and he sees all of the other pagan deities, and he sees how they worship. And he is trying to navigate his relationship with God and understanding how God operates. And so he just knows whatever God tells me to do, that's what I need to do. And he sees all of the pagan worship and he knows that his God is different. He's had enough conversations. He knows there's something different about his God, but then God asks him to sacrifice his son. And now we have the benefit of hindsight being 2020. God was not asking for human sacrifice. He was asking for willingness. He was not asking for uh, his son to be sacrificed. He wanted to know, Abraham, do you love me as much as they love their God? And I want to tell you here today that God is always going to find out in our lives what we love more. God is always going to find out. It will, there will come a day. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It might be next year. It might be next week. But I will tell you, God is going to find out from us. He is going to allow us to go through a moment of testing. And he's going to find out, do you love me more than they love their gods? Do you love me more than the things that I've blessed you with? Do you love me more than the things that I have given to you? Amen. I've found in my Christian existence, there's been times where I've loved God. And then there's been times I love what God does for me. Amen. I wish I could tell you that at all times I was operating under a pure motive. But the truth is, amen, I started loving the gift more than the giver. And there is going to be a moment in our lives like Abraham. It is a moment of testing and trying where God is going to find out, do you love the giver of gifts more than you love the gifts? Do you love the blessing or the one that does the blessing? Amen. I know you got all the things that you prayed for, and maybe you're still praying for some things. But if it came down to it and you had to give it all up, would you love Jesus more than all of those things? If it cost you the home, would you love Jesus more than the home? Hallelujah. This is where it gets difficult, amen, because we have to start being real practical. If God said give up the job, are you willing to give up the job because you love Jesus more than the job? If he said get rid of the cars, are you willing to get rid of the cars? Now, I'm not saying Jesus is going to ask anybody to do that, but it might be that if it's the thing that's keeping you, amen, between, it's, it's stopping you from getting to Jesus, amen, he will ask you to remove those things. He is a jealous God. And he will have nothing before him, even the things he gives us. Isaac was a promise from God, but he will not have anything between you and him. Even when, and I want to tell you, even when he blesses you, amen, that blessing is a test. you got to be willing to pass the blessed test. And everybody said amen. It doesn't matter if it's, and, and let me just say this, it doesn't matter how good of a thing it is. Amen. Amen. Kids are a good thing, but you can't let kids be, get between you and God. 
right? Uh, a, a, a car is a good thing. A house is a good thing. A business and a job are good things. But you can't let good things get between you and God. Ministry is a good thing, but you can't let ministry get between you and God. There's so many good things that have come by the hand of God that if we're not careful, we will let get between our relationship with God. And God asked Abraham, he said, you got to give that to me. And Abraham, I want you to notice that every, every good quality starts somewhere. Amen. Every good quality starts somewhere. Because we're later going to read about Isaac, and we're going to read about Jacob, and we're going to read about all of the others. But I want to tell you, before you get to any of those, it starts with Abraham. Abraham did not wait when God asked him to sacrifice the most precious thing to him. He did not hesitate. The Bible says he woke up early in the morning to do the will of God. God asked of him to sacrifice his son. But Abraham told the servants, I, the lad, are going up to worship. Amen. He is not looking at it like a sacrifice. There comes a moment when God is so important to you that nothing seems like a sacrifice. Amen. I know it doesn't start that way. At first, it seems like every step you take is going to be a sacrifice. You got you to get up early in the morning to pray. It's a sacrifice. You got to take a little time out of your day to read the Word of God. It is a sacrifice. You got to get up and get dressed and drive to church. It's a sacrifice. You got to come to a special event uh, for the church. It's a sacrifice. You got to come to an extracurricular thing. It's a sacrifice. You got to do it week in and week out. It's a sacrifice. But there comes a moment where when you've been doing sacrifice like Abraham, foot, amen, in front of the other foot, walking with God and obeying God no matter what he tells you, amen, eventually sacrifice gets converted and it's no longer considered sacrifice. It's just part of your worship. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, I didn't come to church here tonight, amen, and I did not feel like it was a sacrifice. I've been doing this long enough to tell you this is just part of my worship. Hallelujah. Abraham at 100 and something years old climbing up a mountain, uh, we might say that's a sacrifice. But to somebody like Abraham who's been doing it a while, this is just part of his worship. And I want to tell you, everything you do for God, it might start off like a sacrifice. But you do it long enough and you do it with the right spirit and you do it with the right motives. And eventually what was sacrifice becomes worship. Somebody give the Lord some praise here today. Hallelujah. Amen. Everything we do for God, it eventually becomes part of our worship. He told the servants, we're going up to worship, but this is something else he said. We're coming back down. Abraham understood something about God. You know, you walk with God long enough, he gives you revelation. You start, there's a lot of people that can quote you the word of God, but they don't actually know God. They don't really know him. You know, there, there's, there's, there's people that are on the outside and they, they can, you know, you can read an article about a celebrity and go and think you know the celebrity because you found out what their favorite food is. But you don't know who they are. You've never been with them. But there's something about being close with them. You start knowing Abraham knew something about God. He said, I and the lad are coming back down to worship. When his son asked him, where's the sacrifice? He said, the Lord, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. 
He knew God's not going to require of me something. I know that God's not that kind of God. He's not going to ask me to give, uh, to sacrifice my son. And even if he does ask me to sacrifice my son, he believed God was powerful enough to resurrect his son. He believed that God promised that in Isaac shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And Isaac was the promised son. Even if he had to kill Isaac, God was bringing him back. He believed, he walked with God long enough to know you cannot kill a promise that God's promises are yes and they are amen and when God gives you a promise even if it dies it's coming back I feel I feel the Holy Ghost up in here I want to just tell somebody here today that even if it goes away if it's a promise from God it's coming back and even if it looks like it's cut bought cut off or cut back I want to tell you it's going to grow back in your life Abraham believed God's word enough. He knew that God was going to either resurrect him or they were both coming down that mountain. Amen. I want to tell you here today, we must not hesitate to offer to God the most precious things to us. Because often it's just a test. Amen. There's some people that they hesitate when it comes to sacrifice, when it hesitate when it comes to worship. They're afraid, what if? What if I give it and I go broke? What if you give it and you get blessed? Amen. I want to tell you, what if, what if, what if, what if you live on the other side of this? I trust in God. The final blessing of Abraham came, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 15. Amen. Verse 14, they called him Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord is my provider. There on Mount Moriah, symbol of Jesus, later in the New Testament, walking up that mountain called Calvary, which you can see from Mount Moriah. Verse 15, and the angel Lord called to Abraham out of heaven the second time. And he said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in the seed, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And because thou hast, because thou hast obeyed my voice. I want to tell you, there was a blessing that came upon Abraham that would have never came if it were not for something called obedience. I want to tell you, there's some people that you are one obedience away from a blessing. Just one. It's not always about the feeling. It's not always about the emotion behind it. It's just simply the fact that you said yes. Amen. We often just see obedience as no big deal. But I want to tell you, obedience is a big deal to God. It wasn't about the sacrifice of Isaac. It was about the obedience of Abraham. Amen. Later, God would tell, amen, King Saul, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying or hearkening unto the voice of the Lord. He says to hearken, to obey is better than sacrifice. I want to tell you, if you want to please God, you know, you can do a 40-day fast if you want. And you can say, man, I'm a, it, really that becomes a hunger strike. <laughs> I'm going to get God to move. And we, we think that by all of these great modes of sacrifice that we will get God's attention. You know, there's people, and I've seen this before. It's like uh, we've talked about before with, with Naaman the Syrian. If it was some great thing, he would have done it. If it would have been to go out and fight a battle, to go out and slay an enemy, he would have done it. But because it was simple obedience, he had trouble with it. 
And I've seen people that they're willing to do something great for God, something huge for God. Send me to a mission field. Send me across the world. Amen. Send me to do this, that, and the other. I'll do these great sacrifices. I'll do a 40-day fast. I'll pray eight hours a day. I know nobody's ever thought like that, but I I know some folks. I used to be like that. I thought, man, I'm going to do all of these great things, thinking that God wanted some great show of sacrifice, when the truth is God was looking for my little obedience. Hallelujah. God is not looking for great shows of affection. And God's not looking for these great shows of sacrifice. Amen. I've seen people do these great, uh, grandiose shows of affection and shows of sacrifice. And yet, they have neglected the daily obedience. And God is more interested in us doing the daily obedience. And there is a blessing that comes upon the daily obedience. And there there is favor that comes from heaven that will only come upon your life by being obedient to God. No 40 day fast will do it unless God had asked you to do it and you're just obeying him. I want to tell you there's some things obedience takes care of uh, that sacrifice never will. Somebody give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. I just want to help somebody with that because I know there's people in this building that you think God is looking for, for this great big bonfire. No, This is what the Bible says, and we'll get into it when we get to the tabernacle, that the fire in the tabernacle was to never go out. He never said, the fire's got to be a bonfire this week, go out next week, come back a bonfire the week after that. No, he said, I want that fire to just be fed every single day. I want to tell you what most of our Christian existence is and most of what our walk is. It's just simply obeying God Day after day, day in and day out. I know it's not as romantic. I know it's not as intense as what everybody puts it and thinks it is. But I want to tell you that when you can get up every day and say, I have talked with the Lord. And you can get up every day and say, I have read his word. And it's not about anything but building a relationship. It's nothing more than just obeying him. Man, you know, if you do the ordinary things, you are not ordinary. Because most people don't do the ordinary things. They do the extravagant things. Abraham, it's not about the sacrifice. It's about the obedience. And there is a blessing that comes because of obedience. Amen. Chapter 23, amen, verses 19 and 20. I want to recap this. I want to help get us to where we're going, amen, through, through this Bible study. Amen. Verse 19, and after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of Mechpelah before Mamre. And the same as Hebron, Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein was made unto Abraham, made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. Amen. Chapter 23, this has always intrigued me. But there is an entire chapter devoted. The first couple verses are devoted to the death of Sarah. And then the majority of the chapter, the end of the chapter, there's a couple verses talking about him burying Sarah. But there is an entire portion of this chapter that is, de- that is dealing with him purchasing a place to bury her. I always thought that was interesting. You know, when you read through the Bible, there is a motif of burial. Amen. In fact, when the nation of Israel gets upset with Moses, they said, did you bring us all the way out here because there was no burial plots in Egypt? Amen. And later, when you get to the New Testament, the Bible says we are buried with him through baptism. The Lord himself was 
buried in a borrowed tomb. There's something about this. And even today on, 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 a, on a bigger level, they are using this, this example in the Bible to prove why they, while the nation of Israel belongs in the nation of Israel. They're using this as going back as a deed. We bought this land all the way back. When you look at the cave of Mechpelah, you'll find that, uh, that it was Abraham and Sarah that were buried there. Isaac and Rebekah were buried there. Uh, and then later on, you have Jacob and Leah that are buried there. So this is their they're showing they own this land. It's the only plot of land. God said, I'm going to give you all of the lands that you walk through. And he goes his entire life in obedience. And he doesn't own one thing until his wife dies. And the only plot of land Abraham ever owned in his entire life in the promised land was a burial plot. It was a tomb. Amen. And this was a symbol, amen, that one day there was going to be a tomb in the promised land. That I want to tell you, the symbol of Christianity is not a cross. At least it shouldn't be. That's like putting an electric chair around your neck. Amen. I want to tell you what the symbol of Christianity should be. An empty tomb. An empty tomb. That even in this place, Abraham and Sarah, Rebekah and Isaac, Jacob and Leah, they are buried in that cave. Their bones have decayed in that cave to this day. But when you go to the New Testament, there is a Savior that was buried in a borrowed tomb in the promised land. But three days later, the stone was rolled away and he has triumphed over death. And that cave is empty. Amen. I thought it was interesting that 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 was the entire chapter. We'll get to chapter 24 here in a minute. But once Abraham and Sarah passed away, Isaac became the new patriarch of the Hebrew people. We know very little about Isaac from the biblical account. Much is written about Abraham and about Jacob, and we'll talk about here in a little bit. But Isaac is mostly a mystery. Isaac is not known for much in the Bible. We do know him as the promised son that allowed himself to be sacrificed. He was obedient. He was willing. He was the son that obeyed his father's wishes to marry the right girl. I think that makes a big deal, amen, when you talk about the patriarch of the Bible. He was the son that obeyed God and did not go down into Egypt in the time of famine. And God blessed him with a hundredfold. Amen. He is, that's about all the Bible says about this. Think about what the Bible goes over and over and says. The God of Abraham. Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, what I just told you is about all you'll read in the Bible about Isaac. Again, not a lot of fanfare for Isaac. It's not as extravagant for Isaac. And yet, Isaac is somebody who is not out there inventing new things. In fact, when he's redigging wells, he's just naming them the way his father named them. There's not a lot written about him. He is simply obeying his father. He is simply obeying God. He is simply doing the task that is at hand. He is simply being a husband. He is simply being a father. He is simply being a grandfather. I want to tell you, we, we often overlook these acts of obedience as being no big deal. But I want to tell you, if you get up every morning and you go to work and you get up every week and you pay the bills every month and you take care of your family and you're a good husband or a good wife, you're good to your kids and you're good to your grandkids. Amen. There may not 
not be a whole lot written about you. But I want to tell you, he's still the God of Isaac. He's still the God of those that are just steady. He's the God of those that are just willing to obey. He's still the God of those that are willing to just do what they were taught and live according to the word of the Lord. Amen. There's not enough. I wish that we could write more about Isaac because Isaac's a hero of the faith. Aside from the sporadic references we have to Isaac throughout the Bible, most of his life is found in Genesis 26. In fact, I'll just explain it to you without reading. You go home and read it at your own leisure. But the entire chapter of 26, Amen, is recounting how he redug the wells of his father Abraham. He honors his father by naming them the exact same thing. It's interesting that more is said of Isaac digging wells than any other activity. That's all his life. Was, was, was really all of his life in the chapter 26, that is the majority of his life. Think about it. When you, when you, when you go to die, we put you in your, in your tomb, and we put the little gravestone over there. Well digger. There's not a whole lot there. That, that's not necessarily something I would want written on my, on my gravestone. But it was an important role to the story of God's people. Think about it. Without water, they would have all died. Amen. Without fighting for those wells and digging those wells. Amen. What are they doing? They were declaring this land belongs to the people of God. Amen. This doesn't belong to anybody else. In Scripture, inanimate objects often play a role in the narrative. Wells serve as a place of rest and refreshment in, in this dry desert land of the Bible. Wells just outside a city or a village served as a meeting place for local women but also for travelers. It is where news was passed along. In Scripture, a number of important meetings took place at a well, including, amen, later the meeting of his future wife. Amen. Even Isaac digging wells. He Later, his wife was met at a well. Amen. We find that with the servant and Rebekah. Jacob meets Rachel at a well. Moses meets Zipporah at a well. We later see Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well to discuss her, her need for living Water. I want to tell you, wells are a representation, Jesus would later tell us, of the Holy Ghost. That it shall spring up wells of living water and it shall be in you. You can't live without a well. Can I just tell somebody, you cannot live this life without the well of the Holy Ghost. You've got to have to dig it out. Amen. And in order to hit water, what do you have to do? You have to remove all of the dirt, all of the sediment, all of the hard things, all of the rocks. Amen. I want to tell you, when you are digging out, and, and, and if I could really just tell you why Isaac's so important in the Bible, because Abraham, he is representative of, of this, this new convert who comes into the things of God. And then you get to, to Isaac, and Isaac is a typology of the saint of God who is living for God. Amen. There are going to be times where the enemy's going to come by and he's going to try to fill in amen all the wells that your father has dug for you and all the wells that our heavenly father has given to us and our job is simply to redig those wells to remove all the earth to remove all the dirt to remove all of the sediment to get that out of the way why because we need the water to flow and if we don't have the water flowing we will not survive amen there's going to be times you're going to have to remove some carnality. I want to tell you what the enemy loves to do to wells. He loves to fill them in. You ever get to the place where you, you man, you have a breakthrough on a Sunday and you, the water's flowing. Woo. You feel like you could take on hell with a squirt gun. 
Amen. <laughs> At least I've felt that way a few times. But, uh, you know, there's just those times where you feel like you can do anything. And you go through the week, and one thing after another, by the time you come to church on Wednesday night, sometimes you feel like heavier than you've ever felt. And sometimes you come back next Sunday, and man, where is the breakthrough I just had? I want to tell you what happened. During the week, the enemy is trying to fill in the well. And I wish I could tell you it was as simple as just having one well, but the truth is, amen, every time Isaac re-dug one well, amen, moved on to re-digging the next well, the enemy was coming behind him. I want to just tell everybody, you got more than one well in your life. Amen. I want to tell you, this church has got more than one well in its life. And we're going to have to continually dig. And Isaac, I know it doesn't seem like a whole lot. And it, it may not get you a lot of pats on the back. But if you could just live your life digging wells and redigging wells, you are a hero of the faith. I want to just talk to somebody about some wells you're going to have to dig. You know, when it comes to prayer, you can pray on Sunday. You can have a breakthrough in prayer in that prayer room, and it's incredible. But come Monday morning, it seems like you've been filled in. I want to tell you what you do. you got to get your pick and your shovel out, and you got to get back to work, and you got to dig that well out again. Why? I'm being obedient to my Father which is in heaven. You can't wait on somebody else to dig your well for you. You're going to have to dig your well. You can't wait on the church to dig it for you, the pastor to dig it for you, the praise team to dig it for you. You're going to have to get in there day by day and dig it out. Why? Because my family needs water. My wife needs water. My kids need water. It's simple obedience. And I know it's not as extravagant, but you know there's wells like worship. There's some services, man, we have incredible worship. And, and the next service, they can sing the exact same songs, and it seems locked up. I'll tell you what's happening. The enemy's trying to fill it in with dirt. Amen. I'm talking about spiritual principles at this moment. Amen. You're going to have to get to the place where you don't wait, where you feel it. You just grab your pickle, your, your, you grab your shovel and your pickaxe, and you come to church every service with those ready because you never know. It might be where that, that, that prayer room's flowing. Hallelujah. Can I just talk to the church about church for a moment? Amen. There's a couple wells we're going to have to dig every single service. And one of them is in that prayer room. We dig it out. We dig it out. We dig it out. Why? Every service we're going to have a breakthrough in the prayer room. The next place you come to church, we're going to start with praise. And there's going to be some services where it's flowing and you don't have to do nothing. It's just flowing. Amen. And there's other days where the enemies come by and try to fill it in. Where church, we got to have a breakthrough in the prayer room. Then we got to come into the service and we got to have a breakthrough in the service. What does that look like? I got my shovel ready. And I'm digging, and I'm digging. What is that? What I preached about a couple Sundays ago, I came prepared. I came prepared to dig this thing out. I came to prepare until there's water flowing. I Every service, it makes a difference. And then you got to get to the next place. That's the preaching. And as a preacher, I'm going to bring my, my, my shovel with me every service. I'm going to try to dig it out. But there's sometimes where, man, I feel like I hit a brick wall. Amen. What do you got to do? I want to tell you what it's going to take the entire church bringing a shovel and saying, we're going to dig this thing out. Because the devil doesn't want you to get a word. The Bible says that the preaching is instructing those that oppose themselves. And there's something about when the word comes forth and that word can heal you, that word can deliver you. All it takes is one revelation and your family's never the same. All it takes is one word and you're healed forever. 
and the devil doesn't want you to get a word, so he's going to try to fill it in. Well, you got to say, devil, I'm going to come to church every service, and I'm going to pray until the water flows. I'm going to praise until the water flows. I'm going to preach with the preacher until the water flows. And then you get to the next stage, and that's the altar call. I'm just talking about church for a moment. I could, I could list a bunch of things, and, 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 and I will here in a minute. But, you know, when it comes to the altar call, you got to break through in the altar. You can't break through in the altar if you're sitting in the back. you got to get to the altar. You can't expect the visit. And I'm just pastoring for a moment. I hope it's okay. I don't have anybody on my mind, no bones to pick with nobody. But I'm on this well thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to dig it out. Amen. But there's something about when you come to church, if we want to see visitors pray through to the Holy Ghost, every saint ought to be in the altar. You can't expect somebody who doesn't know nobody to come to the altar if they look around and Brother Joe's not going to the altar. You can't expect Sister Susie, amen, who hadn't prayed in six months to come pray back through when she looks over and she sees Sister, I don't got names here today, but she sees Sister so-and-so and she's not praying. I'll tell you what people do. When they see other people going to the well, they go to the well as they get up and they pray just like everybody else. I want to tell you, there's something about coming to church and digging it out, digging it out, digging it out. Isaac, it's just simple obedience. I'm just doing what my father taught me. I'm just doing what my father showed me. I'm just calling it. I want to tell you, when it comes to life, you cannot wait for things to be dug out. You have got to dig it out. And all of Jake, all of Isaac's life, he's just digging. He's just obeying. He's just following in the footsteps of his father and just doing what it takes because he knows if I don't dig this out, we don't survive. I want to tell you, church, churches that don't dig these things out die. Amen. On a personal level, there's so many things. It's your prayer life. It's your Bible study. Even the devil will fill it in with all sorts. Well, I got so many other things going on. You're right. You do. Amen. You're right. You do. Every excuse is valid when we see it through our own lens, but the truth is we got to push the excuses to the side and understand I can do all of this stuff, all of, all of the things I think I need to do, which I do need to do, but if I neglect these other things that God has asked of me, I, I promise you this, without water in the desert, we all die. And without the things of God operating in our life, it doesn't matter all these other things we involve ourselves in. I want to tell you, it shrivels up, it starts to decay, and it dies. you got to have a well. you got to dig a well for your family. you got to dig a well for your ministry. you got to dig a well for your marriage. You've got to dig a well for your kids. you got to show them. Abraham was the one showing his son how to build altars and how to dig wells. And Isaac, all he did was he lived his life building altars and digging wells. Amen. Living in the promises that God has given to him. Somebody lift up your hands and let's pray. Mm, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We see that Isaac is a man that relied and trusted in the wells that his father had dug for him. And he redug them. And he named them after they had been named. Amen. When we carefully examine Isaac's life, we see a man who is blessed with a unique ability to trust. Amen. We've already read and talked about in our previous lessons how Isaac trusted Abraham on Mount Moriah. He trusted that God would bless him in the time of famine. He trusted and relied upon the wells to give him water. He trusted in his father to make sure that his father would get him the right wife. 
Amen. The Bible says it wasn't until he was about 40 years old when he got married. Sounds like a lot of trust there. Chapter 24, amen, is all about an oath between Abraham and his unnamed servant. If you want to turn there, Genesis chapter 24. All of this, you're going to see a common theme of obedience, of trust, amen, and of willingness. That is what is marking Isaac's entire life. Trust, obedience, and willingness. Amen. Chapter 24, verse 1. And Abraham was old and stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, the hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. Amen. But thou shalt go unto my, my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman shall not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from my land, and from my kindred, which spake unto me, and swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and shall take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will, thou, will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring my son not thither again. He makes a covenant, an oath with his servant. Many people believe it was Eliezer, but the Bible does not say the name of the servant. He makes this oath, and he says, you are going to go back into my country, and you are going to get a wife for my son. But there's two conditions. Number one, you are not to get my wife a son from this land, because God is not going to give this land to the people of this land. He's given this land to the people of Abraham. Amen. Furthermore, you are not to take my son back to the land which God brought me out of. Hallelujah. Amen. That, that land, you're going you're gonna to pull people from that land, and you're going to bring them into this land. Amen. He said, I'm going to send you to find the bride and bring the bride to my son. I want to tell you, this is a shadow of the Old Testament speaking of evangelism. Hallelujah. That, that we are to bring the bride. We are to, hey, the Bible says we are the bride of Christ. But there is this idea that the servant's job is to bring the bride for the promised son. That he is to go into the land and he is to find a bride and he is to obey and he is to find the bride that is willing. Can I tell everybody here today, you are in church here today, number one, because he called you. Number two, you were willing. Can I talk to somebody here today, amen, about willingness? Amen. He, 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 the servant said, what if they're not willing? Can I tell you, if you go talk to somebody and they're not willing, he said, you're free from this oath. Go find somebody else. If they're not willing to come, you find somebody else. But you go find somebody that is willing. And Jesus would tell a parable about a servant that went into the land and he bid people to come to the marriage. And there were those that made all sorts of excuses and said we're not. And ultimately they said this, we're not willing. 
And he said, you go into the highways, the byways, you go find the lame, the maim, you go find everybody else, and you bid them to come. Can I tell you that the servant still has a job in 2023, the church still has a purpose, and that purpose in obedience is to go find somebody else that needs to be part of the bride. If you wonder what your job is and what your calling is in the kingdom, I'll tell you what it is. Go find somebody else, uh, amen, because the king is looking for a bride, uh, that the son uh, is looking for a bride. There's, there's a God in heaven that left his throne in heaven, uh, and he paid the price so he could have a bride. And he, Amen. Number one, you're to be in the bride. And number two, you're to find somebody else to bring them to be part of the bride. There was a test of this servant. You read about it on your own time. Amen. The, the test of what the true bride was. He said, first and foremost, she's got to be willing. Secondly, I've got to find out if she is a servant. Amen. You find out real quick if somebody's just, just hanging out or if they're part of the bride. Amen. And it comes down to this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. It's always been part of what God's looked for in his bride. And they looked for Rebecca. He didn't know her name at the time. She was an unnamed individual. He just said, here's what I'm looking for. And the Bible says that while he finished praying, notice there was a trust and a reliance on God to find a bride for Isaac. Isaac was waiting on his bride, and he had to trust God, and he had to obey his father. And his father was waiting on that bride to come back, and he had to trust that that bride was coming. And when Rebecca showed up, he meant part of the part of the servant's request was that she would not only give him water, but she would give his camels some water as well. But I want to tell you about this bride for a moment. The bride didn't just do the bare minimums. She gave him water. The Bible says all ten camels. She didn't just give them a little bit of water, which was what his prayer request was. But the Bible says she gave them water until they could drink no more. I want to just tell you, amen, if you're part of the bride, you've got to have that kind of attitude. You don't get part of the bride saying, what's the least I can do and get away with it. I want to tell you how you get part of the bride. You say, what is there to do? Is there a task at hand? And, and, and you look for every opportunity in which you can serve. The Bible says all ten camels drank until they could not drink anymore. Depending on who you read, the camels can drink at one sitting anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons each. You do the math. That means this little servant girl, she took 300 gallons of water just to feed the camels. Amen. I want to tell you, that if it was a five-gallon bucket and she was more ripped than most of us in this building, she took two at a time. Amen. That was 30 trips. If she could only take one, that was 60 trips. And this little girl, she thought, amen, she had no idea that this guy that was coming by was actually about to introduce her to her husband. She had no idea that this was connecting her to her destiny, but she just saw an opportunity to serve, and she started serving with fervor. Can I just tell the church, amen, we're part of the bride. And this is the attitude we should all have. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, water the camels. You got to water the camels. There's some camels you're going to have to take care of. There's some things you're going to have to do. And it's not the bare minimums. But when you live for Jesus, it's going all in. It's taking all your blood, sweat, and tears, all of your energy, all of your time. I want to tell you, you can't live for God halfway, part of the way. You got to go all the way in. Amen. She fed and gave those camels 300 gallons of water from the well. 
Rebecca is unique in her own right. Like Sarah, she is initially unable to conceive children. So what does Isaac do? Isaac does what he always does. He trusts in God. Amen. He begins to pray. And the Bible says he prayed for his wife and God miraculously enabled her to conceive children. Rebecca begins to have complications. And what does she do? She doesn't wait for somebody else to pray. Why? She's the type of person that waters the camels. She began to pray to God for herself. And can you believe it? When she began to pray, God began to answer. Amen. Rebecca is the first woman in the Bible to have her prayers recorded. She is also the first person. Amen. You see other people, they complained and God spoke. But this is the first person her prayers were recorded and God began to answer her. you got to understand, before her marriage to Isaac, she was a pagan. She worshipped idols. But there was something, and this is the whole point of what I'm talking about here tonight. There was something about Abraham that got into Isaac. And there was something about Isaac that got into Rebekah. And there was something about Rebekah. Rebecca that got into Jacob and there was something about Jacob that got into the 12 tribes and there was something about the 12 tribes that is followed all all the way down to us here today. Amen. Isaac introduced his new bride to the one true living God. Amen. And he told her and taught her when we don't know what to do, we pray. When we don't know what to do, we trust God. When we don't know what's going on, we talk with the Lord. And he taught her that when you pray, God answers. That when you trust God, God comes through. Can I just tell somebody, uh, there's something about walking in obedience, uh, walking in willingness, and walking in trust uh, that makes your walk with God so vibrant and so incredible. Uh, I want to tell you, when you walk in obedience, uh, amen, there's a blessing that comes upon you. When you walk in willingness, there's opportunities that are open unto you. And when you walk in trust, uh, there's a peace that God gives you that nobody else can give you. Would you lift up your hands? Let's stand across the building and lift up our hands all across this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. I want to be a person of obedience. I want to be a person of willingness. And I want to be a person of trust. And if you can get those three qualities working in your life, I want to tell you, your walk with God will become that much more vibrant. Somebody pray in this building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you notice it, Isaac obeys his father, trusts his father, and is willing to be a sacrifice. And eventually you get to, you get to Rebecca, who is, who is obedient to the call. She follows in that call. She is willing to that call. And it is there that she also finds herself trusting even when she doesn't know. Think about this. This servant comes by and says, come. And she doesn't hesitate. She just says yes. And all of biblical history rests upon an individual like that. And sometimes we look at those three qualities and we go, what's the big deal with obedience? What's the big deal with willingness? What's the big, big deal about just trusting God? I want to tell you, the entire biblical account rests on those three qualities. And what would happen in your walk with God? What would happen in your life if you just looked at those three qualities and you said, God, 
How is my obedience? Am I digging wells because I was asked to do it? Amen. Am, am I watering camels because that's just what's needed right now? you got to ask yourself, how's my obedience? Next, how's my willingness? Do I need all of the details before I say yes? Or am I willing to just say yes knowing that I also have the third quality? How's my trust level? Trusting that even though I don't understand what's going on right now, I trust that God has everything in His hand and God is in complete control. I want to tell you, those three qualities are some of the most important qualities that we can have as Christians. Obedience, willingness, and trust. You put those three together, I promise you, you will have one of the most incredible walks with God. It is those three qualities you find in people as you read the Bible. Go do it yourself. You'll find those three qualities throughout Scripture. And there's something about it that just absolutely changes, amen, the biblical narrative. Would you lift up your hands and let's pray. Today, we're going to pray a very simple prayer. God, I pray right now that you would help me to be more obedient to your word. Sometimes obedience is digging wells. Sometimes it's just walking and, 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 and just doing what has been asked of me before. Sometimes, amen, it's willingness. God, help me to be willing to what you have called me to do and called me to be. Sometimes that willingness is being willing to be a living sacrifice. Amen. Laying yourself on that, that altar, Isaac, even though you don't understand. And sometimes it's saying, God, how's my trust level? Would you help me to become a trusting individual? Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Amen. God, I know that these people, they had those three qualities, and it changed the course of their life, and it changed the course of human history. And God, I wonder what would happen tonight. And God, you would build those things in us. You would bolster those things in us. In fact, I want us to come down to the altar and pray here tonight. We're going to pray for those three qualities. Obedience willingness and trust obedience willingness and trust amen those qualities if you will possess them they won't stay with you they'll get into your marriage they'll get into your kids they'll be passed down they'll get into the church come on we're going to dig wells because that's what that's what's needed Amen. We're going we're gonna to dig proverbial wells. We're going to pray. Why? Because I'm just being obedient to the little things that God has asked of me. I'm going to read the word. Why? Because I'm being obedient to the little things that God has asked me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go above and beyond. I'm going to water the camels. Why? I'm a willing vessel. I'm a willing vessel. I'm a willing vessel. And when I go through times of hurt and pain and I don't understand and there's a lot of unknowns, I'm going to be a person of trust. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm not going to trust on my own understanding. I'm not going to make it work on my own power. But I'm going to trust that, God, you have all things in your hand. Come on, somebody pray in this house. God, I want to be an obedient, willing sacrifice, God. You can use these hands. You can use these hands. For your kingdom and your glory, Lord. I want to be. Come on, let this be your prayer tonight. Yes, so you can use. 
Let's pray all across this building. What qualities do you want to pass down, Abraham? What qualities do you want to pass down, Isaac and Rebecca? Come on, Mom and Dad. What qualities do you want to pass down to your kids? Come on. Are, are they going to see you digging wells and building altars? Are they going to see you willingly watering the camels and doing the above and beyond? Are they going to see you as somebody who just does the bare minimums? No. I want the right qualities to be passed down to the next generation. Hallelujah. Come on. Isaac, you got to see Abraham sacrifice it. Jacob's got to see Isaac sacrifice it. There's got to be something the kids see. Hallelujah. Parents, what you do is not in vain. Everything you do is important. Let's pray all across this building. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody pray. God's not looking for extravagance. Somebody pray. He's not looking for these grandiose moments. Simple obedience. Simple willingness. Simple trust. Somebody pray. Come on, all across this building.
Praise God. Isaac and Rebecca are heroes. Heroes. I think they deserved 50 more chapters about themselves. They never got them. You know, when I was younger, I always looked up to the people that had extravagant gifts. Something about that pull, that magnetism. You know, they come through, and sometimes even if I talk about in church, man, they preach. Their preaching just was... And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, gifts are good. Gifts are good. But through the years, I, I, I saw gifts weren't everything. You, can, you need to have both, gifts and fruit. But the older I get, the more I'm drawn to the character. I, I, I get the, the magnetism that comes sometimes with gifting. But I want to know how you treat your wife. I want to know how you treat your kids. I want to know how you treat the waiter. I want to know how you are on a day by day. Are you consistent? I want to tell you, there's, there's not enough said about Isaacs and Rebecca's. Church, not, not everybody's going to have their name written down in the Bible like some of these extravagant characters that we read about. Samson who ripped the gates off the walls. And we read and we preach about Samson, but you know, I don't want my son being like Samson. Right? You know, there's a lot of unknown people in the Bible, and there's a lot of unknown people in the church. I want my future kids being like some folk in the church, not necessarily the people that were gifted. Because they were consistent. Because there's something about that, that character of obedience. They just ob- Every time God came by, it didn't matter if it was a time of sacrifice. They just, okay, I'm obedient. Digging wells, okay, I'll do it. There's something about that willingness. It wasn't just obedience, begrudging obedience. It was that willing obedience. Amen. Something about those Rebecca's that just go above and beyond the call duty. Not because they have to. And there's something about people that just day by day, they're consistently trusting in God. Trusting in God is not these big moments. It's every little moment. It's not just trusting God when your whole world gets turned upside down. Now, now I trust God. No. You trust God in the little everyday moments of your life and then when something big happens, right? I don't believe that Daniel started praying right before the lion's den. I don't believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they started practicing their ability to stand as we were preached to last week. I don't think they just started that. I think they were doing that for a long time. There's something about people in the church. I want to tell you, if you can get these qualities, these characteristics in your heart, and you just start developing on it day by day, I want to tell you, you're my hero. If nobody else is hero, you're my hero. Amen. And I believe that there's people that are going to look. Because Jacob, Jacob, although he's a knucklehead sometimes, we'll read about him. He gets some things. He gets some real spiritual things. He didn't get that from anywhere else. He got that from home. And I want to tell you, whether it be your biological kids or people that come in the church down the road, they're going to be watching. Church, let's give them something good to look at. Amen.
Amen. Would you lift up your hands one more time? Let's pray. God, I want you to create in us the right character. By your fruits you shall know them. That's character. God, I pray, Lord, that you would develop in us the right character, God, so that when people come and, our, and, and, and future generations show up, God, I pray, Lord, that we would have the right character, God, that they would see the consistency, they would see the obedience, they would see the willingness. God, I pray, Lord, that these characteristics would be in us and abound, God, that they would see these are people that pray. These are people that dig wells. These are people that worship. These are people that trust God in big things and in small things. Uh, these are people that serve God in, in, in moments of doubt and moments of the unknown, and they serve God when they understand everything that's going on. In moments of blessing and moments where they don't feel very blessed, uh, I pray, God, that that would get into our bones here today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Shake hands, be friendly, love one another. Don't forget, Saturday night right here at 7.30 p.m., rob Peter to pay Paul, get gas money, whatever you got to do, get here. Amen. In Jesus' name, we'll see you on Saturday at 7.30 p.m.